Today's video was recorded on March 22nd, 2022, and this is the 10th in our series through the book of Exodus. So at its core, the book of Exodus is a spiritual book. So yes, there's the physical historical aspect that tells the story of the Israelites being redeemed out of Egypt. There's also a profound spiritual aspect to the book. And it's the spiritual aspect that allows us, and all of humanity really, to engage the metaphor of spiritual redemption in our own lives. And this is true even while being removed from the event by, say, either thousands of years in time, or geographically by thousands of miles, or likely both. And we can see the metaphor of a spiritual redemption from Exodus, and we can apply that to our own spiritual journey. So in today's video, we look at two relatively insignificant details found early in the chapters of the book, and these details help communicate the spiritual aspect of the book and the idea of a spiritual journey. And as Westerners, we must remember that this message in Exodus is communicated in a very ancient and a very Eastern manner. What I mean by that is that it's going to use symbols and repetition to carry the meaning. The two details we look at tonight are one, uh, something about a donkey, and the other one, the idea of the number three as the representation of a spiritual journey. And both of these details point, in what can seem to be a very strange way to our Western ways of reading the Bible, to being on a spiritual journey. So we hope you enjoyed today's lesson on the spiritual nature of Exodus. The past few weeks, we, we really slowed down during uh, the discussion about Pharaoh because there's so much there, and there's so much there that we don't traditionally look at and so it's important, I think, that as we slow down and look at those details, that you really begin to see that there's always more going on in the Bible than we're uh, aware of. So it's so important for us to do something like this, which is a Bible study, rather than just a sermon on a Sunday, but a study that says we're going to look very intently at what's going on. And when you do, of course, every time you do that with the Bible, it's like it comes alive. You see things you never saw before, and it impacts us in a way, spiritually, it's always for God's glory, to move us in, in His direction. And so that's the wonderful part of doing an intense study like this. So tonight, we're going to look at two very small details that are going to communicate the spirituality of this book that we call Exodus. Because really, at its core, is a, is a spiritual journey, and we have to, it often just takes us a, a minute to, to look at all these details and to be able to see the bigger picture, what's going on. So I'll title this The Spirituality of Exodus, and God willing, I'll be able to connect two of these things, and they may be a little bit strange if you've never heard them before, and I know many people probably haven't. Um, so for this, for tonight, I used the picture. The artist is John Martin. This is called the Seventh Plague. Now, I'm not actually going to talk about the Seventh Plague. I just thought the picture was really cool. We're going to talk the Plague of Darkness, but I thought there's a great picture, and it looks stormy, and there's the light of God is shining through even in the darkness. So I thought, okay, well, we'll use this one because it's a great painting. 
this painting was in 1823 in France. So that'll be our background picture for the night. And this is going to be part 10 of our slow roll through the book of Exodus. I hope it's apparent as you're moving even slowly through a book of Exodus like this, you can really teach almost every book of the Bible. You can teach the entire Bible in some way, shape, or form. The tentacles of Exodus go everywhere, especially to the New Testament, as we'll begin to see over the next few weeks as we look at uh, the Passover, because that is, that's the event for Jesus. So, um, so the spirituality of Exodus, two small details, and number one on your handout, I have as Exodus is a spiritual journey, and we can read Exodus on two different levels. We can read it on a historical or physical journey. Here's what happened to the Israelites as they move along, or we can read it on a spiritual level, and that abstracts it a bit, then we can apply that to our lives. So I wanted to give you at least a little bit of a graphic depiction of what I mean by that. So very often in our modern age, we read, many people read Exodus, and they're only thinking about, say, the historical or the physical. The Israelites were enslaved to Pharaoh. Yes, that's exactly right. So it starts out, the Israelites enslaved. That's the historical, physical aspect of Exodus. So we have that enslavement. We've gone through the ten plagues. When we get to the, to the, or the, the final plague, there's going to be a lamb involved, and there's going to be blood on your doorpost, and you need to be covered in the blood of the lamb so that you're set free from the bondage of slavery. And that is a historical, physical event, no doubt, for the Israelites. Then they move out. Where do they go? They go through some sort of water. Now, we know it's, it's going through the Red Sea, but it's a, it's a water event, and water events are always significant in the Bible. Now, I'm, I was running out of space on my slide, so, you know, they eventually they get to Mount Sinai, and that whole last uh, 15 chapters of, the, of Exodus is all about creating a space for God. And this is what we did in week one and two. We talked about how do we create a space for God? In this case, the physical, historical space was the tabernacle. And when they created that space for God, God fills it. So uh, the goal of, this, of, of Exodus is, to, is that movement from slavery to living with the presence of God fully indwelt in not only you as an individual, but in the community. And that's what they ended up with. And that's how the, the, the last bit or the last ch uh, paragraph of Exodus is they finish the tabernacle and God moves in. So, okay. There you go. That's, there's the book right there, and that's the physical historical. But what's so cool about the book of Exodus is you can read it, you can abstract it, you can read it on a spiritual level, which means we don't have to travel back to Egypt to become slaves ourselves to then recognize that there's an aspect to our lives where we're enslaved. So we are enslaved to the bondage of sin. Who's the Pharaoh? Well, it's you. You're your own Pharaoh. You want to do the right thing, but you just can't. You're fighting against yourself. Perhaps, we, perhaps you are enslaved somewhere, but my point is, 
we can abstract this to the spiritual level and say, oh yes, there is a Pharaoh. It's me. Or it's my sin nature or how, whatever. There's something holding me back. There's a battle that's going to happen, a spiritual battle within and with God's help. There's going to be a lamb involved, yes? His name is Jesus. He's the Passover lamb. If you're covered in the blood of the lamb, you're delivered from the bondage of sin. That's the, this is now the story of the New Testament. Once you're delivered, you go through some kind of watery baptism of sorts. And it, you, when you, you come out on the other end and, and there's, a, there's a watery rebirth happening. And then you go to meet God. And at first, God is like, oh, you know, it's all awe. And you're a little bit afraid of this all-powerful God. And then eventually he says, no, 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 I want to dwell inside of you. I want to dwell, and not only just you, but we create a community, a church community. And so you can see, it's ama- this, this book is so amazing because in metaphor, yes, you can read it historical, physical, but at the same time, don't forget to pay attention to the spiritual because that historical, physical points us towards the abstraction of the metaphor that works in our own lives. And this is the power of, of the book of Exodus. Because we become the slaves. We were delivered out. We didn't do anything to deserve it. Pure grace on God's behalf. But then, once you become, you know, a Christian, you better change your life in a way if you need to. You've got to get on track, and that's building that space for God. So, this is what we're... So much of the book of Exodus is spiritual. That's what we're going to look at today, is two spiritual metaphors to help us understand that as we're reading through... Yes, we can read, it was literally three days, but also you read, ah, there's a spiritual aspect to why three days. So this is where I want to go tonight. I want to go look at the spiritual metaphor, but you can do it with the whole book. And when we go through the Passover, it's exactly what we'll do, because that leads, points right to the New Testament. Okay, that's a little introduction. That's number one. It's a... It's that spirituality that exists all through this book. And sometimes we just have to have eyes to see what's going on. All right, so I want to begin tonight with a couple verses from one plague that we didn't really talk about, but hopefully you'll see where I'm going. And the plague is the plague of darkness. And it's in Exodus chapter 10. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn to Exodus 10, starting in verse 21. I'm just going to read verses 21 to 23, and this is the plague of darkness. But I want to ask the question, uh, is it only physical darkness? Or, so sometimes when people read this, they say, ah, what caused the darkness? Well, they have huge sandstorms in, in uh, the Middle East that'll just turn everything dark. The sun goes away. You can barely see. Uh, Chris, who's on the call, has been through them in Iraq because they're, they're terrible in Iraq. I've been through them in Iraq. It'll darken the place. So many people will look at it as just uh, what's the physical phenomenon. I want to ask the question, physical darkness or spiritual darkness? Is is, uh, Egypt on a spiritual journey as well? The Israelites are headed on a spiritual journey towards God, and Egypt is headed towards a spiritual journey towards destruction, or a spiritual journey of destruction. Okay, so verse uh, 21. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand towards the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. 
Now that is an interesting phrase because it indicates that's not just the lights went out. It's darkness that you can feel. Oppressive darkness. And I know many of you, if you've been in those situations where you know you're in an area where there's darkness, spiritual darkness, you feel it. There's something, your spidey senses tingle, you know there's something there, and you know it's not good. So there's a darkness that can be felt. Okay, verse 22. Moses stretched out his, his hand towards the sky, and darkness covered all of Egypt for three days. Now just keep that in mind, because we'll come back to three days in the end here, at the end of the lesson. 23. No one could see anything else or move about for three days. Notice the repetition. So he's got three days in there twice. And then this interesting little verse, yet all, of, all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. So now that would be interesting if God could carve out a little hole just over the Israelites, or might it be spiritual enlightenment? They're becoming enlightened to who God is. Egypt is descending into darkness, spiritual darkness. Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to talk two things about spiritual nature, spiritual journey, and they're going to connect, at least in some way, shape, or form, to this verse here, and uh, then our question of what's happening uh, with the Egyptians. Is it only physical or spiritual? So, uh, again, I mentioned we're on a spiritual journey through the book of Exodus, from slavery to the indwelling of, of God's presence. And there's going to be two little details tonight, and they are teeny, that are going to help us to understand something about being on a spiritual journey. So, the first one, and this one's a little bit strange, but hang with me, uh, is going to be about a donkey. And for those who we've been in the class long enough, you know that a couple of years ago we talked about donkey and the spiritual nature of donkey, but we'll, we'll review that tonight. So we're going to talk donkey, because there's a very strange thing in the Hebrew. And then, uh, then we're going to talk three days. So just like that said, for three days, why did this author repeat three days? And why does that three days show up repeatedly throughout Exodus? What's going on with the number three? And We'll talk about how that uh, points, to a, points us to a spiritual journey. So, okay, number four on your handout. So we're going to start there with the donkey. And if you notice, my emphasis is on the word the donkey. So the donkey. There's one mention of Moses riding a donkey, or at least he, the Bible says he puts his uh, family on the donkey. We assume he wrote it as well, but let's go, uh, let's go look. It's in Exodus 4, verse 20. Two main questions that we'd ask about the donkey. First of all, why does the author include it? Why do they tell us that little detail? And then second of all, we got to look at how donkey communicates something about a spiritual journey, and it's not apparent because we're reading it in English, and we don't think this way, but if we go to Exodus 4.20, I may have started here at verse 19, I think I did. This is, um, 
God is now going to send Moses back to, so, okay, Moses, Moses flees out to Midian. Uh, he meets the uh, Jethro. He has a wife. He's now got two sons. Uh, and now God's going to say, hey, look, okay, so here, and it starts in verse 19. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, so he's still over in Midian, go back to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So this is the point where God's sending him back. And we get this kind of, it's kind of like a throwaway sentence. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. Now, all of your Bibles in verse 20 say a donkey. Every one of them. So Moses put them on a donkey. The problem is, and this is where the rabbis pick up on this, the Hebrew doesn't say a donkey. The Hebrew says the donkey. There's the Hebrew word for the. Now, that's, there's difference because a donkey is, well, it's any old donkey. Which one? I don't care. We just need a donkey. But the donkey specifies which donkey is it. And so now, because the rabbis noticed that little word that's added on to donkey, the, he said, well, which donkey is it? What's going on here? First of all, why is it included? Why do you include this little detail? You could leave this sentence out about being put on a donkey. God sent them back to Egypt. Okay, we would never think twice. But why include something about the donkey? So there's something in there. And then why does the emphasis, or the emphasis, is the emphasis the donkey? So, okay. Now, part of this is we're in the spiritual. So, you know, you, it's hard to put your finger on it and keep it still because the spirit's always moving. But there's a rabbinic interpretation that I'm going to show you, and I have it on your handout, or at least some of it. I forgot to put the whole thing. And it has to do with other donkeys that show up. And you could even call it the Messiah's donkey. Which donkey is, is Moses writing? He's writing the donkey. Which one is that? Well, let's see what the rabbis say, because there's other places in the text where we find donkeys. So, if you look at number five, there's a rabbinic interpretation about this donkey. Now, the rabbinic interpretation, I put it on your sheet. It's a Pirke de Rabbi Eleazar. And now it's an older work, but much of the writing you can source back to, they would at least have known it in the first century, even though our first copies of this come later. It's the chapters of Rabbi Eleazar, and he's commenting on Genesis and Exodus and all of that. Now, here's the part what, that I didn't put on your sheet, and I apologize. He's going to comment about a donkey. We'll read it in a minute. A donkey that shows up with Abraham. So when Abraham goes to, uh, is being called to sacrifice Isaac, there's mention of a donkey. And then you go, well, why is that donkey there? Then the donkey vanishes. It doesn't ever show up again. So you think, what, what's being communicated here? So the part that I didn't put on your handout, and I apologize, I'm going to put it on the screen and I'll read it. But it's about Abraham, and we'll read it in the text in a second here. 
He says, now this is from the actual writing, so you're going to see details that you don't find in the Bible. It's because they're interpreting what's happening in the Bible. Um, he says, Abraham rose up early in the morning, and he took with him Ishmael and Eleazar. Eleazar is the uh, servant. And Isaac, his son, right? That's what he's going to do. He's got to take Isaac up to Mount Moriah. And then it says, and he saddled the donkey. Now, why even mention that detail again? Now, next, upon this donkey did Abraham ride. Now they're going to interpretation. And it says, this was the donkey, the offspring of that donkey, which was created during the twilight, as it was writ as it said, and Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. Now he's leading up to something, because the very next sentence, he's now going to connect this same donkey that Abraham is with to Moses. And this is what I have on your sheet. Uh, number five, he says this. The same donkey was also ridden upon by Moses when he came to Egypt. As it is said, Moses took his wife and his sons and he set them upon the donkey. And that's the key. So the rabbis notice, why would you have a word the? There must be something, since every word is there for a reason from God, there must be a special donkey that's going to span the time, the biblical time, right? So we find a donkey in Abraham. We find a donkey in Moses. And then it says this, the same donkey will be ridden upon in the future by the son of David. Well, son of David is messianic terms. So who rides the donkey? Jesus. Okay. It is said, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. Now that's old English. He is just and saved, lowly and riding upon a donkey, even upon the colt, the, the foal of a donkey. So not that one we know because that's Jesus. But the rabbis come up with something and they connect. Donkey and Abraham, donkey and Moses, donkey to Jesus. And they say, those are all the same donkey. Now, obviously, it's not the same donkey, but you get the point. Spiritually, there's something happening here. Now, take that for what it's worth. It's an interesting uh, interpretation of the text. But what would make them, what would cause them to think about a donkey being so on a spiritual plane, right? What's the, the importance of this one particular donkey? Okay, so, and this gets into, we have to know something about the Hebrew word for donkey. And what I'm going to suggest, and others have as well, that when you see donkey very often in the Bible, you can equate it to the material world. It's the representation of the material world. So where's Abraham? Well, he's riding the donkey. He's above the material world. He's going on a spiritual journey. What's Moses doing? He's got a donkey. He's going to be on a spiritual journey. What's Jesus doing when he's riding the donkey? He's going to be on a spiritual journey. So the donkey represents the material world. Because what do donkeys do? They carry material. And so the word, the Hebrew word for donkey, hamor, which means donkey, comes from the Hebrew word that is uh, material. Every Hebrew word 
has a root. So in Hamor, the donkey, you have this root right here, the het, the maim, and the resh. And you get a word like homer. And so what does that mean? Well, to, uh, in a verb, it's to heap up, to pile up something. Material, you're piling up material. Um, it's used for mortar, the Tower of Babel, cement. Uh, Job says, you molded me as clay, but the word is homer, as a material. It's like a cementing material. It's used as a dry measure in Hosea. Uh, Hosea had to go redeem his wife for a homer and a half of barley. So we, our English spells it H-O-M-E-R, like homer, but it's homer, and that means material. So the donkey, his name is derived because the function of a donkey has to do with the material world. Ah, we notice then, in these highly spiritual, when people are setting off on a spiritual journey, we notice a donkey suddenly shows up in the text for no reason. And we'll, we'll look at Abraham's donkey in here in a second, but the donkey eventually disappears. You see it on the, down the beginning, Abraham goes off on his journey, the donkey disappears. It's as if he left the material word world for the spiritual. So Hebrew, you always look at what something does, what does the donkey do, and then you name it. That's what Adam, when he named all the animals, not what he looks like. We would do it by what it looks like, but it's what you do. So, okay, that's why you could say anytime you find a donkey, you're talking about a spiritual journey. You're traveling, but you're, on, you're now above the material world. How do you represent that? You have a donkey there in the story. At least they mention it. So, okay, here's what I want to do, because we'll look at a, the story of Abraham. Turn to uh, Genesis 22. It's verse 3 and 4. And you can go to the back side of your handout. And, of course, this is the story of Isaac, uh, the sacrifice of Isaac, or the, it's the testing of Abraham's faith, we should say. So Genesis 22, 3 and 4. Now you're going to hear a lot of the same stuff that was repeated in the Pirkei de uh, Rabbi Eliezer, because he's, he's commenting on this text right here. The Bible says, early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. So there's an introduction into the story. Why include that detail? Well, maybe because he just did it. Okay, but there's lots of stuff in the Bible that people do that aren't that the authors don't tell us about. So he loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Now notice what comes next. On the third day, we're going to look at three here in a minute. There's something about three going on. You have a donkey and a three, you're on a spiritual journey. Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there. So once again, just in case you weren't sure if they had a donkey, the author repeats it. We'll worship, and then we will come back to you. So, the idea would be, if we're looking at it spiritually, again, I know I'm, I'm repeating myself, but as we, most people have not studied donkey like this. Um, the donkey is material. 
And the fact that you're going on a journey with a donkey, but suddenly the donkey's not going to show up in a little bit, means you've gone on a spiritual journey and you've now left the material world behind. And that would be one way to understand why they're including this phrase. So it's metaphorical, remember. It's metaphor. So he's still, Abraham is obviously still here in the material world, but he's gone on a spiritual journey. He's ascending above it. Um, okay, just one note, because it's so important to note, notice this. Notice what Abraham says to his servants. He says, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Now, that's the mountain. And Abraham knows what he's supposed to do. But he says this, we, that's me and Isaac, will go, will worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, how does he know that? Because God made a promise to him that Isaac, it was through the seed, that, that the nation was going to be born. Well, then you can't have him uh, sacrificed. So the faith of Abraham is on display. I have faith that God is going to find a way. Later, Abra- uh, Isaac says, hey, Dad, where's the, um, uh, where's the sacrifice, animal for sacrifice? And Abraham says, God's going to provide one. It's like he knows his, his faith is so strong that God's promises are true. So, okay, now that's on the way. Then they ascend a mountain, just like Moses is going to ascend a mountain. They ascend a mountain. When they come back down off the mountain, look down at verse 19. They conclude the story in Genesis 22:19. There's no mention of a donkey. The donkey's gone. See, now Abraham has left the material world behind, and he's on a spiritual journey just like Moses is going to do, just like Jesus is going to do. He's above that material world. That's the spiritual journey we're looking at. And so number seven, you can say, how are they connecting these? Well, the donkey from Abraham, Genesis 22, the donkey from Moses, Exodus 4, and then fast forward to the donkey, it's Zechariah 9.9, but we know, because we're studying it from the New Testament, that's the donkey that that uh, Jesus rides into town on. Is he on a spiritual journey? He sure is. He's left the physical behind. And it's all focused on the spiritual. Okay, one little Hebrew word, the, instead of a donkey, causes the, the rabbis now to say, what donkey are they talking about? And you can go stretch this out. Something so, what would seem so insignificant and that we would read past so quickly in the Hebrew, there's something there. We got to search it out. We got uh, we have to look for it in the text, and it's in the spiritual. It's not always easy to see. Okay, that was the donkey. Now, let's go to the other one. What's the other detail that keeps showing up? Three days. Why? Is it is it just a geographical thing, or is there something spiritual, symbolic about that number? And I'll show you a video that we, we did last spring on this, that if anybody wants to go back and, and look at, it's got a little bit more stuff in it about the number three. But three is a symbolic number in the Bible that represents a spiritual journey. So connect those two, donkey and three, and now you're, you're really on a spiritual journey. So do, the, uh, do me a favor. Well, you can or you don't have to, but Exodus chapter three, verse 18, if you want to look there. Because God's going to say, 
And people always have this question, why three, why three days? Seems kind of random, doesn't it? Well, not if you understand the, the scope of the number three in the text. Then you know it's not just, God's not just saying, hey, go a certain distance or go to a geographical location. You're going on a spiritual journey, and that's what that number three represents. Just like, just like Abraham, he was on the third day, looks up and sees the place that God's going to have him uh, tested. So here's what Exodus 3.18 says. This is now their, God's telling them what's going to happen in the future, but the elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders will go to the king of Egypt, and you'll say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey. Now, there's got to be something there, right? Because we keep seeing this three-day bit repeated. In fact, I have all of, uh, I have them listed under number 10, but I'll put them up on the screen here. Three-day journey. Exodus 3, verse 18, three-day journey. Exodus 5, 3, three-day journey. Exodus 8, 27, three-day journey. Now, let's think about this. In the short time that we've talked about the number three, do you notice how many times three-day journey is repeated? Three times. Maybe there's something there, right? So three times, the idea that they're going on a three-day journey. They're going to launch out into the wilderness to meet God. And then the last one, and this is the question I started with, was, is you find three days shows up twice in the plague of darkness. And so then you think, well, now, wait a minute. Are they only talking physical darkness, or is there something in here about spiritual darkness? And I'm sure that there's something in there about spiritual darkness, because that's what's happening with Egypt. So. Three-day journey. We didn't really talk about that. You, you probably saw it as you were reading through, but uh, very important because that number three is the, uh, and encapsulates the, the idea of going on a spiritual journey, and there's way more to it that we can't get into tonight. Um, if, if you're interested in learning more about three as the representation of a spiritual journey, we did do a video um, in the book of Mark, the feeding of the 4,000. The text says, we need to feed them. They've been with me for three days. Now, why include that number? Because numbers are, uh, they have meaning in the ancient mind. I'll put a link for anyone watching this later on YouTube. I'll put a link in the description section below that will link to this video. But um, this will talk about all the, a whole bunch of ways the number three represents a spiritual journey in more in depth than we're going into tonight. But let me show for the class tonight just what we're going to, a few of them, right? So we already talked Abraham. Abraham walked for three days, looks up, there's the spot God takes him. He's on a three-day journey. Moses, any threes on Moses? Well, he's the third child, Miriam, then Aaron, and then Moses. So he's the third child. He was hidden by his mother for three months. Right? Might that three be representative of the, the nature of what he's about to do to take Israel on a spiritual journey? Not just the physical amount of time. You can see, and if you read ahead in Exodus, they get to Mount Sinai. It's the third month. Oh, by the way, that's Exodus 19, verse 1. And then when they get there in the third month and they go to meet God, 
God says, uh, make preparations, and on the third day, we're going to meet. Whoa. Now you've got three, 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 three all over the place. And there's way more than that. Again, watch that other uh, video that we have to, to see more of these examples. But this is the last thing I'll, I'll finish with, and I put this on your sheet, number 12, is, of course, the, the rabbis notice this too. And obviously, you guys can think of many other threes, right? Maybe there's a three uh, that begins with a J that you might think of, like Jonah. Jonah, three days in the whale, right? That begins with a J. Or how about Jesus, three days in the grave and then he, in the res resurrection? So you can see that number three is everywhere. But let me show you a rabbinic interpretation of the three, the idea of three. And this is on your handout because I didn't, don't assume that you guys will have the Talmud uh, readily available. So it's Talmud Shabbat 88a. The Talmud is a later writing, uh, Jewish writing, about 500 AD, and they're commenting on the text. And this one, as we'll see, is all about the number three. So, blessed is the compassionate one, right? Because it's Jewish text. They don't use the name of God. Christians would say, blessed is God. Blessed is the compassionate one who gave a threefold Torah. Right? What are the three sections to the Hebrew Bible? You have the law, the prophets, and the writings. So God gives a threefold Torah to a threefold nation. The nation is made up of priests, Levites, and Israelites. And he did it through the third child, which is Moses, after three days of preparation in the third month. You think three is something significant in the biblical text? Was Jesus on a spiritual journey, rides a donkey into town, three days in the grave, and the resurrection. And if you read in Hosea, uh, boy, I put it somewhere on your sheet, and I apologize. Hosea talks about, we were separated from God, and on the third day, he restored us. So that is, uh, even uh, the third day of creation. What's important about the third day of creation? It's the only day in Genesis 1, that gets a double blessing. And it was good, but it says it twice. So the third day is an important day. That's the day you have weddings. That's the third day in John. They have the wedding at, at Cana. So it's, uh, there's a lot going on with that number three. But I just wanted to point out, it's these teeny, teeny details inside of Exodus that carry this amazing story of a spiritual journey. They're done in metaphor, though. It's the, it's the metaphor that we can still take with us. In metaphor, we can see our own life's journey in, what the, in the story that Exodus is telling us. But it's in these little teeny details. The donkey. Oh, there's, there's apparently a special donkey that they're, that they're going to be looking for. And then, of course, three-day or a three-day journey or three days of darkness for Egypt. But there's something about the number three that just helps communicate the nature of this book, which is absolutely amazing. And oftentimes, when we're only reading for the historical perspective, we just miss so many of these awesome details uh, about the spiritual nature. Um, okay, so that's a little bit of the spirituality. Now, this is going to lead us right into the Passover, because every single symbol in Exodus 12 and in 13. Jesus is going to fulfill. 
and it's pointing to something bigger and then that we can all participate in even today. So as we go through the next couple weeks leading up to Passover uh, is the same weekend as Easter, we're going to look at these in a metaphorical way and see how they, how they apply and Jesus fulfills them. And clearly the New Testament writers know exactly what's going on because they're going to emphasize that Passover. So, okay, that's a little bit of the spirituality or spiritual nature of uh, the book of Exodus. Exodus.